As you know, Paul has recently left Macedonia, Greece, and he's on his way to Jerusalem. And his journey is taking him along the edges, um, edges of the Aegean Sea, uh, following the western coast of Asia Minor, what is now Turkey. And he is sailing um, off the coast of Asia in a clockwise fashion. And his travels are really dictated by the weather patterns. Uh, in the summer months in those areas, you would have the wind coming in from the north earlier part of the day, but in the afternoon, the wind would die down. And that's why Paul is um, traveling, but every evening he anchors in a new harbor. And next morning, he starts his voyage again. And one thing that really stands out is, is that Paul is in a hurry. He is in a hurry. And he was in such a haste that he decides not to stop by Ephesus, which was really on the way. Instead, he sails past Ephesus. And that's a strange decision because, as you know, Paul spent some three years in Ephesus. And what that means is, is that he had many dear friends in Ephesus. And so you have to ask yourself, don't you, Sure, you're busy, but you can't make some time for your friends. I mean, what's the hurry? Um, commentators seem a little divided over the reason why he was in such a hurry. Um, and if I were to venture a guess, and really, it's really nothing more than a guess at this point. Um, you know, Paul, he left Macedonia carrying the love gifts that the Greek believers had collected in order to, to relieve the suffering of the poor believers in Jerusalem. That's the reason for this journey. And it seems to me that perhaps Paul's haste is at least in part explained by his desire to carry that gift to Jerusalem in order to relieve the suffering of the poor as quickly as possible without any unnecessary delay or interruption. And of course, when you read the New Testament, you can't help but be struck by how the early Christians were deeply concerned, by the, uh, concerned about the poor and how faithfully and diligently they care for the poor. And so it seems to me, uh, at least part of the reason why Paul is in such a hurry is to, to deliver the gifts of the Gentile believers to the Jerusalem Christians. Uh, in time for Pentecost, because Pentecost is traditionally the time of a feasting. And it seems to me Paul is in a hurry so that he can deliver his gifts for these Christians who are poverty-stricken, uh, may celebrate together. And that's why he decides to sail past Ephesus. Nevertheless, he can't simply pass them by. And so he summons the Ephesian elders to Miletus. Uh, Miletus is about 30 miles or so south of Ephesus. And here, in his conversation and meeting with the elders of the Ephesian church, we get a good look into the heart and the work of a loving pastor. And so the first thing we see, we focus on this morning, is the farewell, Paul's farewell to them. And, and do you see how and what a tender moment this is? 
In verses 22 and 23, Paul says to them, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. You see, Paul knew that the path that God has called him the calling that he received from the Lord was one that was filled with trials and afflictions and suffering. And yet Paul was not deterred by that reality. Paul was ready to suffer and die for Jesus. But unfortunately, that's all I can say about that today for the, uh, for the sake of time. And what Paul mentions here about his suffering, we will see actually unfolding and coming true in the passages that follow. But this morning, I want to focus on one aspect of what Paul is saying. In verse 25, Paul says, And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. And it makes you wonder, doesn't it? Maybe this was also the reason that Paul Uh, had decided to sail past Ephesus. Ephesus was a city full of his dear friends, and maybe it was too much for Paul to see his friends and knowing that he will never see them again. You see, what comes across so clear to us is that Paul loved them. He dearly and deeply loved the people of Ephesus. And so in verses 19 and 20, Paul tells us how he labored for them. He says that he served the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Why would he endure all these difficulties? These difficulties brought him no no praise. These challenges, uh, afflictions brought him no earthly benefit. Why would he endure them? He endured them because he loved the Ephesians. And for their sake, he endured the suffering in order to teach them, in order to show them Jesus. And Paul continues that he, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. We saw throughout Acts how Paul preached the word in marketplaces, in lecture halls, in front of political leaders. And as we saw in the passage from last week, he taught the disciples in the upper room. And and that was really Paul's pattern even in Ephesus, whether in public or in private, in front of a large crowd or small crowd. He gave himself fully to the work of the Lord, and he taught them everything that was beneficial, profitable for them to know. Uh, John Stott, the, the noted New Testament scholar, puts it this way, and I think he put it exactly right. Paul taught the whole gospel to the whole city with his whole strength. That's a great summary. Paul taught the whole gospel to the whole city with his whole strength. And so once again, why was he so tireless? Why was he so selfless in his service? Now notice what Paul says in verse 28. When he 
gives this exhortation to the elders from Ephesus. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. You see, for Paul, it was inconceivable that anyone could love Jesus and not love the people that Jesus died and shed his blood to save and to rescue. You see, for Paul, it was unthinkable to love the Lord Jesus and not love his beloved bride, his church, his friends. That is why Paul labors so tirelessly and selflessly to care for the believers and saints in Ephesus. Paul loved them. And you see here that the love was mutual. When the elders hear from Paul all that he had to say to them, in verses 37 and 38, we read, And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. You see, loving Jesus means loving those who serve Jesus for our good. And the Ephesian elders knew that how much Paul loved them, how much out of his love for the Lord Jesus and out of his love for them, he did not spare himself. And the Ephesian elders, and representing the church at Ephesus, they loved Paul deeply too. And that is why they were heartbroken when they learned that they would never see him again. So this is the farewell, a very tender moment, a very uh, profound moment. And that brings us next to the charge, the charge that Paul gives to the elders. So notice in verse 17, Luke tells us, now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders. Now the Greek word for elders is presbyteros. It's the word from which we get the word Presbyterian, elders. So Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders, presbyters of the church to come to him. And then in verse 28, once they arrive, he says to them, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Greek word behind the word overseer is episkopos. It's the word from which we get the word bishop. And Paul urges them, pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers or bishops to care for. And the Greek word behind the care for is to shepherd, to pastor the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So notice what's happening here. Paul calls the elders, the presbyters, and he tells them that the Holy Spirit has made them overseers, the bishops, in order that they may do the work of the pastor in shepherding God's people. 
And what becomes really clear in the New Testament is that these three words, elders, overseers, and bishops, are used interchangeably. Uh, I think we are all familiar with uh, church traditions where these three uh, designate three separate ecclesiastical offices. Um, you know, there is a separate office called the bishops, the separate office called a pastor, separate office called the elders. But in the New Testament, Paul consistently uses these words interchangeably so that they don't point to three separate offices, but they all point to the, the one office described in three different ways. If you are a pastor, if you are an overseer and an elder, if you're an elder, you are the pastor and the overseer and so on and so forth. And what's really interesting is that if you remember back in Acts chapter 14, we read that Paul and his companions, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, so the pattern of the New Testament church was that the New Testament church was led by elders who provided oversight to God's flock as shepherds. I had to work to put all those three words in one sentence. Did you get that? Every New Testament church was led by elders who provided oversight to God's flock as shepherds. And what Paul tells them is this, that elders, if they are called by God to be overseers of God's flock, to shepherd them, to pastor them, elders must not deviate from both the content and the intent of Paul's ministry. First, the content. Notice what Paul says in verses 29 and 30. Paul says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And sadly, we have seen these words come true over and over throughout church history. Paul will write in Romans chapter 10 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Word of God, faithfully and accurately preached, is how people are brought into God's kingdom. And that is why the, the attack of the enemy focuses on twisting God's word. That is why doctrine is so important because Doctrine is just another word for saying God's word faithfully understood and proclaimed. And so Paul warns the elders, be careful, watch over your flock, because false teachers, wolves, will come to draw away the disciples after them. And so the charge that Paul gives to the overseers is to proclaim and apply the whole counsel of God. That's the charge. That's the content. The content of teaching ministry is not just one or two things out of the Bible, but the whole counsel of God's Word. 
Now, what's the intent behind it? The intent behind Paul's charge is to bring God's people to maturity and to protect them from twisted teachings. You know, it's interesting. Uh, today, um, once you step out of the, the small community of the Reformed or Reformed-minded churches, the, today the norm uh, in the church is to do topical sermons or short series. It's not that there is no place for topical sermons or short series sermons, but the problem is that the topical sermons and short series are often driven by the preacher's personal interest. And it creates a setting where even if the individual sermons are more or less right, it creates a setting where difficult parts of God's work can be avoided. The parts of Scripture that don't uh, satisfy the, the standards of our time can be easily skipped over when a church's ministry is mainly topical sermons or short series sermons. Again, it's not that those things have no place, but they should not be the main part of the ministry of the Word because, again, if God's people are only fed topical sermons or short series sermons, you are not getting the whole counsel of God. And really, the, the part of God's Word that makes you uncomfortable is precisely the part of the Bible that we need to learn the most because the reason that some parts of God's uh, word uh, strike us uncomfortable and unfair is that our minds haven't brought in alignment with the, the mores of the world outside the church. That's why God's word uh, strikes us odd, irrelevant. And it's that part of the word that we need to hear most urgently. And it is a great responsibility and the duty of those who are called to be the teachers of God's word not to give God's people snippets or the topics that happen to interest them, but give them God's whole counsel. Besides, when the ministry of the teaching is mainly topical or even short series, it's very easy to fall into the temptation to please people. And it's very easy to fall into the temptation of avoiding the topics that might upset people, that might offend people. And the outcome is that the, the shepherds, the teachers, leave their flock unprotected against the uh, false teachings of the wolves. And that is why Paul says here, he gives this charge to the elders in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Now Paul puts it slightly differently in 1 Timothy chapter 4, but it's said in the same spirit. Paul says to his uh, his young colleague, Timothy, chapter 4, verse 16, 
Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul carefully handled God's word and showed himself a worker who is approved. And he also watched his life to ensure that the manner of his life did not become a a stumbling block for the believers or hinder the ministry of the word. So in verse 33, Paul says, I coveteth no one's silver or gold or apparel. Paul did not use the church as a platform for selfish gain, but rather gave himself away freely, tirelessly, and selflessly so that the church might gain from his sacrifice. So there was integrity in his teaching and life. And that's the charge that Paul is giving to the elders of the church. Let there be integrity in your teaching. Let there be integrity in your life. Give God's people God's whole counsel. Guard them and protect them against twisted teachings. And the importance of that is this, that false teachers never come to God's people with the sign above their head that says, I am a false teacher, listen to me and you will perish. That's what we sometimes think happens. But false teachers come to God's people with plausible sounding words, words that sound reasonable. And it takes diligence, discernment, and wisdom to sort things out so that we are not taken in by twisted teachings of people. And this is a very important charge to those who are called to be elders and overseers and pastors, to watch your doctrine and watch your life carefully. And that brings us to the third and the last point, which is the inheritance. Inheritance. What do you say to someone that you love with all your heart if you knew that this is the last time you will ever see them? Have you thought about that? You know, we, all of us, will have occasions like that when we are about to say goodbye to our precious, beloved friend, family member. And if you knew that that is the very last time you will speak to them, it's, it's a sacred moment, isn't it? It's a sobering moment. And we can certainly see here that Paul feels the weight of this sacred moment, knowing that this is the last time he will see his beloved friends, these elders from Ephesus. So what does he say to them? And you can see clearly here that Paul, as the ever, the loving pastor, he ministers to them. And in verse 24, Paul says, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. 
If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul says that he does not count his life of any value. Now, that sounds really weird. Um, in today's mindset, it almost sounds as if Paul hates himself. You know, there is a fascinating uh, little snippet in J.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings where he describes the, the habits of the hobbits, and they have this ha uh, habit where they, they pass along to each other worthless gifts. You know, when they receive a gift that they have no use for, they don't like, they don't throw it away, they keep it, and they give it to the next person. You know, when you give to somebody a, a gift that has no value, it's no gift at all, is it? And so when Paul says here that I do not account my life of any value, he's not saying that his life has no worth because a worthless life is a worthless gift to offer to God and to one another. And so we need to recognize that Paul's meaning is a little bit different Notice what Paul calls the church of God, which he knows that he himself is a part of. He calls the church of God is obtained with his own blood, or better, obtained with the blood of his own. What Paul is saying is that we, the church of God, we are redeemed with the, with the blood of the Lord Jesus. And because we have been purchased with his precious blood, we are endlessly precious to the Father. And since God treasures us, we do not have to strive to find our worth. We do not have to strive to cling to our self-esteem or sense of value because no matter how much we strive for a sense of worth, we can never give ourselves more worth than God gives us in Jesus Christ. And conversely, no matter how much we humble ourselves, no matter how much we make ourselves servants, no matter how much we deny ourselves, no matter how much we prefer other people before and above us, no matter how much we give ourselves away, our true worth will never diminish one bit because God keeps us. And because God holds us precious, and because God keeps us, we have the freedom to lose ourselves. That's why Paul says, I, I do not account my life of any worth or any value, nor as precious to myself. You see, when God holds you precious. When God treasures you, it gives you the freedom to let go of yourself. It gives you the freedom to lose yourself. It gives you the freedom to give yourself away. And that is why Paul adds in verse 32, And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, 
which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. A father gives his inheritance to his beloved heir and son. A father does not give his inheritance to a stranger or even to a slave. And so when Paul says here that I commend you to God for the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance. You know what Paul is reminding them? Remember that God treasures you. Remember that you are precious to your father. And he also says that the inheritance is shared among all those who are sanctified. We are parted, each and every one of us. A day will come when we will have to say goodbye to each other. And it is a painful experience. But it is not a bitter experience. Because you see, Paul says here that we will receive the inheritance to share among all those who are sanctified. When we say goodbye, when we see someone that we love dearly for the last time, it is for the last time in this life. Because there is a God who raised Jesus from the dead. And in Jesus Christ, we too will be raised and we will be united with joy. The famous missionary Jim Elliot, who lost his life in the course of his missionary work, once wrote in his diary, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me say that again. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That is to say, our hope in Christ is the only thing that endures. Can I put it this way? Kingdoms and nations will disappear. Gold will turn to dust. Fame will fade. But your hope in Jesus Christ, your inheritance from the Father, because you are precious to Him because of your faith in His Son, and because Jesus died for you, that hope in Jesus Christ will endure into eternity. So dear church, let me give you this exhortation. You have been instructed well. Don't stray from the path and don't lose your inheritance. Hold on to God's word. Hold on to the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. And elders, I exhort you, may we love and nurture Jesus' flock with all our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for your instruction this morning. And we pray, O oh Lord, that 
those of us who lead would lead with the same heart and same eagerness and zeal as Paul did. And those of us who are led, may we be led with faith, with humility, and with joy. And may we together inherit the glorious inheritance that is ours through Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to understand that there is nothing in this world that will endure except what is built upon the foundation of Jesus and faith in him. And help us to be wise. And so may we enter into eternity and glory with joy in our hearts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.